Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. So I would invite you to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John, and this is the first Sunday in a series that we are embarking on throughout the entire Gospel. And we're going to take our time. We're going to really sit in this book, and it is going to carry us a little bit past Easter. The way that John has organized his gospel, it really works with our Christian calendar. So we'll spend uh, the season of Advent in the first 18 verses, and then we will follow Jesus' journey of ministry eventually towards the cross at Easter, and then in the days after towards his ascension. And we're going to spend a lot of time in these first 18 verses because it really sets the stage for what John is going to do in his gospel. In uh, the in the first century, it was common in Greek uh, sort of rhetoric when you are laying out an argument. You want to lay out all of your facts nice and early. You want to state your purpose. And that's what these first 18 verses are. It's a statement of purpose of what to expect through the gospel. Because what is going to orient our theme through the gospel of John is that you may believe, sort of the purpose that John reiterates in the end of his book. And you can read more about what this theme means for our series in the Advent booklet. Um, Pastor Steve has uh, contributed right up. And so we are going to start at the beginning, which is a very good place to start. And so we're going to read the first five verses, and that is going to orient our discussion today about Jesus, about strengthening our belief, or perhaps if you are new to this faith, to set you on this journey of discovering who Jesus is. So let us come into God's Word. This is the Gospel according to John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of our Lord. So, in the beginning. This is how John starts his gospel. He starts at the beginning. Because where else could you possibly start? This past week at youth group, I decided I wanted to do a history of the Christian Reformed Church. But where do you start? Do you start with just the history of living hope here? Do you go back to the formation of the CRC as a denomination in the 1850s? Do you go back to the Reformation, to John Calvin's work, to Luther? No, we went back to roughly the beginning We didn't go all the way back to Genesis, but we started with Jesus. We started with the one called Christ who gives us the name Christians. And I promised them I would do 2,000 years of church history in 20 minutes, and I rushed through it, and it took about 45. So there's a lot to unpack there, but it's well worth it. It's worth it to when you are trying to tell a story, a story of Jesus, a story of the church, to start at the beginning. Because our stories of origin, they orient us to who we are. We want to know where we come from. It tells us who we are, why we are here, what is our purpose. 
And so John, he starts in this way. He says, in the beginning. And this should immediately make us think of Genesis. Take us right back to those first words of our Bibles that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, which is something that we read again from this morning as we lit the candle. And the first thing that appears in this creation narrative is light. The first thing that God speaks into existence is this light. And this is really important because light and darkness, day and night, the establishment of this daily rhythm that we all live by, it is something that is universal across cultures. Every single society, culture, civilization from the beginning of time to now has a story of how day and night, the sun and moon, light and darkness comes into being. They are central to their beliefs, their understanding of the world, of who they are. And so I just want to tell you very quickly two such stories, and they're from two different parts of the world to just illustrate how important the rising and setting of the sun is to all people. So first we have in Egyptian mythology, we have Ra, the sun god. He would travel across the sky, bringing light to all of Egypt and the Nile by day. But he was constantly trying to evade an evil serpent, sometimes called Apophis, sometimes called a pep. And this serpent was trying to consume the sun. And of course, if you are a farmer, which everyone back then was, in fact, if you're a person, you need the sun to grow your food. And so the sun was essential to a way of life. Without the sun, there are no crops, there is starvation, death, famine. So the fact that the sun rose and set every morning, it was central to their belief system. So much so that Ra was the king of all the gods. But each night, the sun would set, and for them, Ra was descending into the underworld to battle this serpent, and he would be reborn again each morning, rising with the sun. And so they had an explanation for the rising and the setting of the sun. It was a divine ordination. And the second picture is from Nordic myths. You have Sol, which means sun, and Mani, which means moon, and they are carrying the sun and moon across the sky in chariots, ever evading two wolves, Hattie and Skoll, who want to consume the sun and the moon. Sounds familiar. And so in both of these myths, from two completely different parts of the world, the sun and moon were important to the rising, to, to daily life. And it was something that could not be left to chance. They needed divine intervention to ensure that the sun rose in the morning, set in the evening, and that it rose again. And so it begs the question, why was everyone, for all times, all people, so concerned with light and darkness? Aside from the sun, which grows crops, there's also something significant about darkness, and that it's scary. I think we can all identify a time in our lives, and maybe this is still an ongoing thing, where the darkness is frightening. And maybe it's not just when you're in your home, but if you're out camping, you're up north, you're in the mountains, and the sun starts to set, you might start to feel a little bit worried of, oh, we're, we're out a little bit far from the car. We're out a little bit far from camp. I hope we can make it back all right. And I think that's a universal human experience because the darkness, it conceals and it shrouds what is unknown. That's why... 
when all the lights are off and you're walking around your house trying not to turn them on so you don't want to wake up and disturb everyone, you move very slowly, hands out, maybe not even picking your foot up lest you trip on something, just kind of kicking before you. You don't know what is out there, so you tread cautiously because the darkness hides things. The darkness hides potential dangers. That's why we're afraid of dark alleys in a city that is unfamiliar. And so the sun and the light are seen to be the antithesis of this darkness. And they are so essential to the human experience. We want to live in that light. We want it to chase away the shadows. And there is this universal fear in ancient mythologies that something is going to destroy that light, consume the sun and moon. Sin thrives in the darkness, evil corruption, because it's unknown and it is hidden. And so John taps into this. In the beginning, we need that light. That first movement of creation is cutting back that darkness, pushing back against it, against the unknown, the chaos, the fright, the sin, the corruption, the potential death and damage and destruction that exists in the darkness. We need that light. And John now, he begins to expand on this creation narrative. It's not just the light and the sun, it is something more, it is something deeper, more significant. He begins to point to Jesus, this word, this word that was in the beginning, this word spoken out that brings light and life into all of creation. Because it answers that question, that question that so many ancient authors have of what is essential to the creation of all things and the sustaining of all things. And the answer for John, the answer for all the New Testament authors is Jesus. I love the way that Paul puts it in Colossians, for he says that the Son of Man is the invisible, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things are created. In things in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created in him. When we go to the beginning, Jesus is there. When we go to the most essential thing of human existence, the most essential thing that we all long and desire to see on a daily basis, the light, Jesus is there. He is the one that is sustaining and holding all things together. He is that light that we long to see in the darkness, that light that we long to see pushed back against the hidden uncertainty of the darkness. And this builds on an ancient tradition. This builds on all the wisdom of the Old Testament. For this image of light and dark, we see it mirrored in Proverbs through discussion of wisdom and folly, something that should be a little bit familiar to us through the series that Pastor Steve led us through in James. Because when we ask what is the contrib con contributing factor to a flourishing light, how do we have this light in our lives? My notes are not scrolling with me. There we go. How do we live life in the light? How do we take hold of this good thing? How do we live in the light and not the darkness? And we see in Proverbs that wisdom is the answer. Wisdom is the opposite of folly. It's, wisdom is choosing to obey God, to live in his word. Folly is to choose our own ways, to go 
against the light. In wisdom, in Hebrew literature, wisdom is also found at the beginning of creation. Just like light, just like John has shown us that Jesus was there, wisdom personified is also there. And this is going to be a little bit poetic, so just bear with me. I'm not uh, saying that there was another entity present. There was only one God from the beginning. But we see that the Proverbs ascribe wisdom as being present in the beginning of creation. For it says, the Lord brought me, this is wisdom, forth as the first of his works. Before his deeds of old, I was formed long ago, at the very beginning when the world came to be. When there was no watery depths, I was given birth. When there was no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or anything out of the dust of the earth. So wisdom This lifestyle that leads to choosing to obey God is instrumental in creation. And I don't think it's much of a stretch, and the New Testament authors don't either, to identify Jesus with this wisdom, to identify that wisdom is a significant attribute of God. Wisdom we find in Jesus. Jesus is wisdom personified. And in this way, we have a choice. And this is a choice laid out before all people in their mythologies. Do you choose to follow the light? Do you choose to follow the wisdom? Or do you choose to live in the darkness? Live where it is hidden and go your own way. And Jesus takes this up. Jesus takes up this claim that he is the light. And if you turn with me to John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus very clearly lays out what John alludes to. He doesn't leave much more mystery for us. This word, this wisdom, this light. Jesus says in verse 12, he says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So this light, this wisdom personified in Jesus No longer are we captured by myths of sun gods. Are we trying to chase after this light in life? It is laid out before us exactly who it is, exactly how we have this light and wisdom in our lives. It's the person. It is Jesus. And now I want to caution you as you go back to Scripture throughout this week that light and wisdom and darkness and folly are not perfectly interchangeable so we can read them wherever we want, but they are different dimensions of the same conflict that exists in the human experience, that we all wrestle with this light and darkness, this choosing what is good over what is our own way, but that they are both perfectly embodied, light and wisdom, in the same person, and that is Jesus. And this is the promise of Jesus, that whoever follows him will not walk in darkness. They will not walk into that danger, that uncertainty. They will not have to stumble around in the unknown trying to figure out where is the safe path to go in life. They know who to follow. And by following Jesus, we can walk confidently at a good brisk pace through life, knowing where we are going, knowing what obstacles to watch out for. For Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he says, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God, he has become for us that wisdom of God. In knowing what to choose is right, in following and obeying the law of God, Jesus perfectly embodied that for us and laid down an example. 
In Proverbs, it says, for those who find me find life and receive the favor of the Lord. And it's this link between light, wisdom, and life. And I think we all want to have a good life. We all want to be comfortable, secure, surrounded by good relationships, free of worries and anxieties. And that feels increasingly difficult as things become more polarized in our society, as economics are doing really weird things that I don't understand but make my groceries a lot more expensive. It feels a little bit more uncertain now than it has perhaps in years past. We feel tension in our relationships, in our lives, not knowing where to go. There certainly feels to be a bit of darkness ahead of us. And I don't think many, if any of us, have enough answers to confidently navigate it on our own, to bring us to flourishing life by going our own way. So that is why we need the light and wisdom of Jesus the light and wisdom who is Jesus to guide us towards this flourishing life. And it's not going to be easy because we are stubborn. We are going to want to go our own way and do our own things, but he is gracious and continues to invite us back because we belong to the light. Jesus adopted us into this identifying marker of him. He adopted us to be children of the light, as he says in John 12. Because being in the light, being a part of this wisdom, it's more than just knowing the right thing. It goes way deeper than just making good choices, way deeper than just knowing where to go. That would perhaps be an easier sermon to preach, an easier lesson to leave from this, this sanctuary going, well, now we just know we have to make the right choices and everything will be fine. No, it's way harder, but it's way better because it calls us into a deeper relationship. It's, and that goes beyond just making the right choices. That is about time. That is about commitment together because to be children of light, many commentators say that this also heralds back to the creation narrative, going back to Genesis 1.27 to say that we are made in the image of God. For everything that Jesus is as the Son of God, He gives unto us. He brings us back into good relationship with God, that we no longer have to stumble around because we make bad choices, but we can live into the light because we know who we are. We are made in the image of God. We are given a capacity to choose well because Christ has redeemed that image within us. But of course, this all sounds really nice, but we still see the darkness in the world. We still see war, homelessness, abuse, death, sickness. We still feel that darkness inside of us. For even though I can stand up here and say, you are children of light, you can walk in the light, I still wrestle with it. I know what I should do, but I do the opposite. I know how essential it is to walk in the light, but sometimes I choose darkness. I know that I have been adopted into this light, but I still feel as though I belong to the darkness. And that's why John is so gracious to give us 
in verse 5, a peace to hold on to, a peace of confidence. For he says that the light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. For in these ancient myths, there is a constant battle between light and darkness. And for instance, in the Nordic myth, the darkness wins. The wolf swallows the sun. There is darkness and destruction and death, and everything is destroyed. But that's where our mythological story differences differs. Our story changes that the light is not defeated. The light is victorious. We don't have to live in fear that the darkness will win. Though we wrestle with it every single day and see it in our society, we know at the end of all things that the light will be victorious because the darkness cannot overcome it. There are multiple ways to translate this word overcome in Greek. It could be comprehend, to master, to seize, but all of them are hostile actions of the darkness trying to grab and control the light. But John says, absolutely not. For all our personal and societal wrestling with light and darkness, with wisdom and folly, with good and evil, the light always wins in the end. And John, in his book of Revelation, he records this event for us. For he says, this city, and he's speaking of the new Jerusalem, this new dwelling place, heaven come down to earth at the end of all things. And he said, this city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives us its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On that day, on no day, will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. That is an amazing picture, especially at the end about the gates not being shut at night, because that was tradition. Night would fall, you would close the city gates to keep bandits and brigands and all the kind of riffraff that might cause up trouble, that, let, that sort of sin and crime and violence that thrives in the nights, they would shut it out of the city. But in that end day, we don't need those protections. We don't need to lock our doors, lock our cars, chain up our bikes, because no one is going to take advantage of the darkness in that day, because there is no darkness to take advantage of. We live in comfort and security because the light has uncovered all and shines its good and glorious light into it. But in the meantime, the darkness attempts to resist. It attempts to push back against it. But the light is victorious in all time, in all places, at the end of all things. We can have that confidence going forward that though we wrestle, the light and life wins. For in John chapter 3, Jesus says, the verdict is this, light has come into the world. He's speaking of himself here. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. And that's part of the hard lesson of the light, is that stepping into it, it reveals everything. Have you ever gotten yourself ready in the morning? You're standing in the bathroom mirror, your hair looks great, your eyebrows are done really well, and you step out, you sit in your car, and you look in the rearview mirror, and you go, oh, is 
that what I look like? No, you guys are beautiful. I love it. Sometimes the light can be unflattering, an especially powerful, strong light. It leaves nothing to the imagination. Nothing can be hidden. It shows all those imperfections, those crooks and crannies that you tried to cover up, that little hair that you missed. Nothing is concealed from a strong and powerful light. And that's sometimes what makes us uncomfortable, what makes us shy away from stepping into the light, from choosing the right thing, because it's more comfortable to live in the shadows where all of our imperfections, all of our strugglings, all of our bad choices that we make time and time again, but we know we shouldn't, they come out into the light for all to see. They are exposed. We cannot hide them. And that is the struggle that we all have to share in together as a community, coming back to that identity piece as children of the light, as brothers and sisters, we have a responsibility to care for each other, to not drag us into the light kicking and screaming, but to come alongside, to encourage, to gently guide each and every one of us back into the light from the places we are sitting in darkness. But this is not a harsh light. For living in the light means that we are exposed to the love of God. For Jesus says that I have come into this world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. And he says this in John chapter 12, right after he has entered Jerusalem triumphantly as a king. He says that he has come into this world as the light, so that no one will walk into darkness the week before he is about to head to the cross, in anticipation of his death, he makes this bold claim that no one will stay in darkness. He knows what is coming. He knows what it is going to take to get us back into that light. He knows that it is not easy. But he knows that it is worthwhile. And we should take comfort in that. Comfort in knowing that even though the path to light may be difficult, it is worth it. Because Jesus walked that path unto his death for us. So that we might be considered children of the light because of what he has done. So that we might inherit this light that is life eternal. That we might be known by God, known by each other for who we truly are that little bit of darkness that we wrestle with in all. Because God's light shines into our lives. It shines this great and awesome and powerful love. And our job is to reflect that back out into the world. Alistair Stern, in his book, Rhythm for Life, he has this wonderful picture of what it means to image God, what it means to image and respond to this light. He has this picture of light coming down from heaven and us as a mirror angled out so the light hits us and reflects out into the world. But because of our sinful condition that we wrestle with, our mirror is a little bit broken. The light's a little bit scattered, fragmented, not well-directed. But that's the work of Jesus. The work of Jesus is repairing that mirror so that we might shine the light of God in its full glory. Nothing will be lost to our broken edges that we are being made new and restored so that we can reflect this life into all corners of our lives, our work, our play, our church community, our neighborhood. 
And so this Advent season, as we continue to think about light and dark, the invitation is to look to the light that is Jesus, to look to the way that Jesus shines his light into the world, something we will continue to explore through the Gospel of John, to look at the wise choices Jesus makes to live after the law and the word of God, and to ask ourselves, how do we see this light in our lives? How can we take it out into our communities? And we can do this because Jesus did it first. He did it for us. He is the light that shines in our lives. We don't have to generate it for ourselves. And we are going to celebrate the way that he did this today. We've set the table we have set this table to come together to remember and believe that Christ has died for our sins, died for that darkness that we so desperately cling to sometimes, so that we may be born anew as children of the light. We're going to close in a word of prayer. I'd like to invite the praise team up, and they'll lead us in a song of response and also, uh, if the ushers are listening, uh, we're going to welcome the kids back in to come uh, participate in the Lord's Supper together. So let us come together and let us pray to our God of light. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the light, for the sun, for the warmth that it brings, for the crops that it grows that it makes our earth a place that we can live, that we can thrive and we can flourish. Heavenly Father, forgive us for the ways that we still cling to the darkness that you have already defeated, the things that we leave hidden, the places where we still stumble because we are afraid to walk into the light. God Almighty, we thank you that your work of restoration of bringing light back into our life in this world was a wonderful success. That the darkness and death could not hold Jesus down, but on that third day he rose from the dead and has ascended into glory at your right hand. And that by virtue of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are once again able to be called your children, children of light, and shine out into the darkness. God Almighty, as we head out into this week, as we head out into our various places of work and play and life, I pray that you shine your light ahead of us so that we may confidently go, that we do not have to be hesitant or fearful, but that we may go encouraged by the working of your light in our world, that we may bring this message of light and love to all that we meet this Advent season. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.